My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience's mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and, more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about clinical trials with two people from Grit Health. We have Dan and Lauren with us today. Thank you both for joining us. We're going to start off by doing a little introductions. So I'd like you both just to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, one fun fact about you. So Dan, why don't you go ahead and go first? Sure. Thanks, Gail. So my name is Dan Platt. I am the chief medical officer at GRIT. Uh, I have a background as a doctor. Uh, so I got my medical degree from the University of Rochester in upstate New York, and then went down to Harvard to do my residency in neurology. Uh, I was right next to Dana-Farber uh, for a couple of years. So I became very interested in immuno-oncology. And uh, this was right around the time when some of the first immuno-oncologic drugs are coming out. So uh, it was very exciting work. I'm a little bit older than I sound and look. So, uh, you know, it was, um, it was really exciting at that time and got into that and actually decided to step away from my residency and started doing some healthcare consulting for hospital systems around the country, pharma and biotech. And really the goal there was to figure out how the healthcare system actually functions and why all the things I saw as a doctor, all the inefficiencies and the problems with uh, you know, drug shortages, um, drugs that were really, really important for things like surgery, um, why all that was happening. And so I, I, I'd spent about 10 years doing that. And the goal was always to get back to patient work. And I was lucky enough to discover grit. Um, I'll let Lauren describe uh, what grit does and uh, jump back in with kind of what my role is as well on the research team and the medical team. Uh, but thanks so much for being here. And uh, thanks to Epic Experience. And thank you, Gail. Well, you are welcome. One fun fact, though, we have to have oh, one a fun, fun fact. fact. Yes. Uh, so I was a big soccer player when I was a kid. Um, and this is back when the United States was not good at soccer and <laughs> no one went over to European playing European leagues. I played Olympic development soccer when I was 13. So I was set. I was getting geared up for the actual Olympic team. I ended up blowing out both my knees oh. and was not even able to play in college. But uh, it, that's that's my fun fact. So I'm still very interested in soccer and um, I hope everyone, anyone listening is following the men's national team because we're in Olympic qualifying right now. And I know dates don't matter. It's always, you know, Olympic qualifying is important. We missed, uh, I'm sorry, not Olympic qualifying, World Cup qualifying. Right. We missed the World Cup last time. So I'm psyched that we're, we're probably going to make it this year. So it's great. Awesome. Awesome. I played soccer. Great sport. Love it. Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. And then, of course, one fun fact. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Uh, so a little bit about myself. 
Um, I've always been kind of a science nerd, really liked really gross stuff, medical stuff. That was totally right up my alley. And I knew I always wanted to work in healthcare in some capacity. And while I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in South Carolina uh, in biology, I was actually diagnosed with cervical cancer. So it was about two weeks after I turned 23. So super young for that. And that really turned my world upside down and becoming a cancer patient definitely changed how I perceived healthcare and how I can make a difference in healthcare and that it didn't have to be the traditional route of becoming a healthcare provider, that there was a lot more to it and that I could make possibly a bigger difference in a different way. And so I ended up having a radical hysterectomy when I was 23. So I lost my fertility. Uh, luckily, my tumor wasn't as big as they thought. So I didn't need chemo or radiation. But after that, I had one semester left of college. So I was healing, dealing with everything. And then, of course, dealing with the aftermath of cancer mm -hmm. that's not physical. So really trying to cope and deal with all of that and realizing how pissed off I was and that something needs to be done. Nobody my age should be going through this. And that's really where my road to advocacy started was truly out of anger. And so I was weaving in my advocacy with my healthcare work and working in different clinics and being able to speak at different events and going to the state house and doing all kinds of things. And I kept on the path of working in healthcare. And then I kind of realized I wasn't going to become the provider that I would have wanted when I was a cancer patient. So I stopped my ongoing schooling, my master's program. I stopped that luckily early rather than later. So not much student debt there. Thank goodness. <laughs> then I was, as I like to say, fun employed for about two months. And I was just kind of on the internet. Wasn't really finding my exact fit or anything, but then my sister-in-law two years ago this summer uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And so ironically, I was posting and asking questions for her breast cancer diagnosis. And somebody had reached out to me from Grit Health asking if she wanted to participate in patient experience research. And I said, well, I'll ask her, but this sounds really cool. Tell me more <laughs> about who you are. What does this mean? Because Oddly enough, I'm kind of at a life crossroads of, do I want to stay super medical healthcare focused, or do I want to go more of the community public health um, advocacy route? So mm. just kind of started having conversations with some of the grit health team. And that's really how I came to work for them. And now in 2021, I'm about to hit my two year mark. Awesome. And yeah, it's been great so far. And of course, I can't forget my fun fact. No, you can't. My fun fact is I lived in Hawaii for almost five years. Awesome. Now that does sound fun. More fun than blowing out your knees. Sorry, Dan. Well, since you, you're you working, this is almost your two-year anniversary. Tell us a little bit more about what Grit Health is. Yeah. So Grit Health uh, does a lot of things. We do a lot of great work and we're pretty multifaceted. So I'm involved in a big piece of our cancer community. So when we say cancer community, we're referring to however you identify in that space, whether you want to use the word patient, survivor, thriver, fighter, that come as you are. We welcome you with open arms. 
And so our cancer community is made up of patients, survivors, and caregivers, but we really go the extra step and we actually include different healthcare providers. We include the pharmaceutical industry, biotech, and we really try to make a safe space for multi-directional conversations. And so what I get to do in the community as the program director is create content and programming that's educational, lets people feel less isolated and helps them teach themselves how to be their own advocate in various ways. And something I always say when I'm talking to community members is you will never see me plan a program or a conference session that has five physicians talking at you. Because one thing we're really big on is empowering the community to find and use their voice. So we always let that voice come through um, no matter who it is in the cancer community. So that's one piece of what we do and kind of trickling over on that idea of finding and using your voice we also do cancer research, which mm -hmm. I'm sure Dan will talk a little bit more about. Um, but it's something that people don't necessarily think of as a way to use your voice as a cancer survivor, and that it can be through research in the form of surveys and focus groups and things like that. It's not all about medicine and drugs, and you can really actually change healthcare for the better. So that's another piece of what we do. And then the final piece, we do empowerment projects. So different conferencing events that take place with other companies. And it's a lot, we do a lot, but it's really fun. And for me, the most important part of Grit Health is that we were founded by and still run by for the majority uh, by cancer survivors mm -hmm. and caregivers. So, I get to go to work at, well, I work at home because we're global and we're all over the country, but I get to wake up and get, get to the other room and work. And I know that all of my coworkers understand me without using any words. If I'm having a bad day, if I'm anxious about an appointment coming up, if I'm just mad at the world, they get it because the entire team has been there. And I think that's something that really sets us apart from some other organizations and companies. And it's just, it's really special, not just saying that because I work there, but the community members I get to interact with on a daily basis and watch them start coming to programs. And then three months later, they're the ones talking the majority of an hour long program and sharing and helping empower others. Yeah. So it's been, it's really special what we have. And is it cancer community, the whole, all ages, all cancers? Yep. Yeah. Anyway. So we are all cancers, all ages, everything like that. And we are global. The majority of our audience does, uh, is in the U.S., probably about 80%, but all cancer types, ages, demographics, we literally welcome anyone and everyone. And, you know, it really gives an opportunity for say I have a program and there's a caregiver and a survivor, there's plenty to learn from each other. There's always mm -hmm. something to learn and remember that your experience always matters. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. So Dan, how did you get involved in GRIT? Yeah, uh, thanks, Gail. So um, as I said before, I, I have a medical background and kind of also have this investment in kind of the healthcare system and understanding how it works. Um, I found grit. I was, you know, I had quit my job as a consultant 
because I knew, like I said, I wanted to get back to patient care, um, to involve myself more closely with patients. And I found grit kind of spur of the moment, um, lucky serendipitous uh, in my hometown of Rochester, New York, uh, when I came back to visit family. And I told uh, Dave Craig, our, our CEO, who's a two-time cancer survivor, I told him to hire me because I have my background and you know that I, I really thought the idea of grit was amazing. We're kind of half advocacy organization, half company. And the work we do as a company is all patient-focused research patient experience research and patient education through engagement projects that kind of bring a conference type atmosphere to uh, an educational advocacy environment. Uh, so um, I loved that kind of merging of two of my favorite things, the idea of, of research and medicine and the patient experience. And so Grit really was the only company and I think it's pretty unique in that aspect of bringing those two things together in the way we do. So yeah. really exciting work. And how does clinical trials or how do clinical trials fit into this? Yeah, so our work is in, in patient experience research, which is really qualitative research. As Lauren mentioned before, we do um, patient interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews, and we kind of bring our medical background to bear on understanding what a patient ex has experienced throughout their cancer journey and really getting at key questions that will um, influence the way clinical trials are run. So our goal is to bring the patient voice into the clinical trial earlier and earlier. So what are some of the ways we can do that? We can affect clinical trial design. So we can create a situation where patients can offer insight to pharmaceutical and biotech companies about the right way to do a patient-centric trial. And whether that's, um, you know, oh man, I don't think I would use this drug if it was administered every three days and I had to travel hundred miles to get it. I think that, you know, or I don't think that I would want to become part of this trial if I have to get a CT scan every other week for three months. It gives patients an opportunity through crowdsourcing to talk about what they would expect from a trial mm -hmm. and what is too much in terms of time management and expense. Uh, so that's one thing. We also want to make sure that patient reported outcome measures, which are really uh, the patient asking the patient directly, how is this drug working for you? that those become a bigger part of clinical trials. Many trials are incorporating those, but it's still way smaller as a percentage than it should be like 10%. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to make sure that those get moved forward, that patient quality of life becomes a benchmark by which to measure a drug. Um, so that's another thing that we work on. So it's, it's that type of thing. So we're trying to make the clinical tri trial experience better. And then the other part of your question, Gail, is why clinical trials? And I think that's probably the biggest way that science and medicine can have an impact on improving patient outcomes. And so we're dedicated to that because it's really the touch point for getting better drugs out there, better treatment, and more survivors. And if you were to define clinical trial just at its very basic, what is it? Yeah. So a clinical trial is basically a study that looks at the safety and efficacy of a drug or intervention for a specific disease. And that's kind of a broad catch-all. And the, but the reason I say that is because there's many types of clinical trials. Most people, when they think of clinical trial, they think testing a drug and one person's getting a drug and the person's getting not a drug, right? A placebo, but that's not really the case. There are many ways that clinical trials can, can be run and they're always looking at the safety of a drug as well as, as its effectiveness. So 
you may have a, a, kind of that basic trial where you run a, a drug, but you may also test lifestyle interventions like mm. exercise and diet on the recurrence rate of a, of a particular cancer in patients. Um, you might look at medical devices and their impact. You might have multiple drugs in a co- like a combination, a regimen that you're testing against each other. Um, you can also have different sponsors. So it's not just pharmaceutical companies. The biggest sponsor of clinical trials in the United States is the government through the NIH and also in other government uh, run and, and, and grants uh, that, that run trials. So it's important to kind of understand that aspect of things too, that there's probably a trial for everyone in some way, shape or form. If you have a disease, people want to understand both your experience is what we do, but they also want to want to make sure that we can move the clinical trial programs further, get more information, better information, better drugs, um, and better livelihoods. Well, and you just mentioned there's probably a trial for every illness out there. So how does someone with illness A find a clinical trial for what they're going through? Yeah. And so this is the thing that is probably the hardest thing for patients and probably the hardest thing about the way that our healthcare system works in terms of getting people from point A to point B. There are more trials going on in the United States than pretty much anywhere else in the world. We are, we are site one for clinical trial whether it be drug, um, new, you know, new intervention, old intervention, new approved indi- indication, we do a lot of that work. It happens here in the United States, which is great. Um, but even though there's all these trials going on, it's still no easier to find them. And there's been a ton of people who have tried to make this process easier. The, the simplest way, of course, is to ask your doctor. And so in a perfect world, I would say that Everyone's oncologist in this case, um, but you know it doesn't have to just be oncology, autoimmune disease, neurology. There's plenty of clinical trials out there. But if you're talking to your oncologist, um, they're the place to start, and your medical team to say you know because they know your disease the best, so they know where you fit in a clinical trial. But oftentimes they don't have time to sit down and find a trial for everyone. Oftentimes it just never comes up in the conversation. You know, oncologist will. They have their kind of treatment methods that they know of. It's, it's a lot of work to keep abreast of thousands of trials that are ongoing to know exactly what trial we, you should direct someone to. So unfortunately, your oncologist knows you the best, but they're not always the person that can direct you to the trial. So what can you do then? Because it's really, um, you know, therefore on patients to do a lot of the action to find their trial for themselves. There are places to start looking. So uh, the NIH is a great location to start looking and kind of get a sense for what trials are like, learn some of the trial basics. But then there's also other services. Um, Grit works closely with a company called Encora AI, uh, which is based in Europe. And they're really doing this the right way. What they run is kind of a, a clinical trial matching service. So wow. their, their um, AI their, uh, uh, really is, is it, does a great job at matching a particular patient to a particular study and explaining why that's the case, like walking through the different criteria that you have to have in order to be part of the trial. Um, so that's, that resources like that can be really, really helpful. Additionally, if you're looking at the NIH, you'll see they have a hotline that you can call in to get mm-hmm. help understanding the trial and understanding kind of where you might fit. They'll help you do a search um, a lot of other sites offer that kind of thing. So if you're, if you have questions about trials, some of it is, is almost like too much, but you know, I, I'm always happy to help. So you can, you can contact grit. 
um, you know, and, and, and I'm happy to help kind of find a trial, but there's all sorts of places to look. Um, it's just a matter of kind of parsing through that information. Yeah. Do clinical trials cost more? I mean, and what is the cost really to the patient? Yeah. So one of the great things about clinical trials is that most of the time you're getting the drug for free. I would say 99.999% of the time you are getting access to a drug that may be cutting edge. So cutting edge that it's not yet on the market. And in fact, that's why we run clinical trials is to test those drugs. Um, So cutting edge access to cutting edge drugs for free. You will get the drug for free in a clinical trial. That is the biggest benefit. A lot of, especially in oncology where paying for medication can run people hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, you, right now, medical debt is the largest form of debt in this country. Um, a clinical trial can alleviate some of that cost burden. There is usually also a clinical trials that, that involve approved products. So you might find a trial that, you know, your doctor might want you to take this drug and you may find a trial that tests the drug that he wants you to take plus another drug. Okay, great. I'm getting access to the drug I would typically take but I also get access to this, um, you know, cutting edge drug that may make the, the, the first drug even better and they may work yeah. synergistically. So one plus one t- sometimes equals three. So that's a really, really great way of getting access to the drug you want, but also potentially getting access to a new way of thinking about it and using it. Hmm. What are some other benefits? Yeah. So, so again, like I said, free drug is, is a huge benefit. That's huge. Uh, access to to uh, really really cutting edge technology and cutting edge medications huge. You're also in you're helping science move forward yeah. without being part of without if we didn't enroll clinical trials, no more cancer drugs would be available. Uh, clinical trials are how we make sure that a drug is safe, that a drug works, and it's the only way to kind of advance medical science. So you're also helping everyone. Um, you're helping yourself and you're helping. Uh, other people with your disease who might come after you and you're helping kind of the future of science to move forward. So those are the big benefits. Well, yeah. At the same time, however, I have a feeling there are some misconceptions that keep people from participating. Can you talk about those? Yeah. Yeah. So which which one should we start with? Uh, One that I hear a lot um, is that I'm I'm only going to get a placebo that, you know, some other person is going to get the drug and I'm just going to be on a sugar pill. That is not the case, especially in oncology. So how I'm going to explain kind of how a placebo works, but the starting point is that all cancer trials are testing an experimental drug, experimental therapy against the standard of care for that particular person for with that particular disease. So it's not comparing experimental drug to nothing. It's comparing experimental drug to the best drug available hmm. currently on the market. And so the experimental arm, you one of the things in the clinical trials, you need to blind people. People can't know what drug they're getting or else it introduces bias. So the patient can't know. And the doctor also oftentimes hmm. cannot know because they might treat someone differently if they know they're on the drug versus someone you know who they know is on the standard of care. So often you have to do what's called blinding. And one of the ways of blinding people to know which drug is to use a placebo. And so what that would look like is you would test standard of care plus experimental drug X and compare it to standard of care plus placebo. And the reason you do that is because let's say, um, 
if, if one if one group was getting two IV medications and the other group was getting only one, you would know which group it is. So you have to include the placebo in there so that you can't tell yeah. what the two groups are. So that's really what it means to be to have a placebo involved in a trial. It never means that you are only getting a sugar pill to treat your cancer. You are always getting standard of care. So that that's like the lowest level you're going to get is the best drug available. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's huge. What other misconceptions are out there? Yeah. So uh, another one I hear commonly is that clinical trials are for people that have no other options. That's absolutely not true. One of the things we talked about is that there are clinical trials for pretty much every circumstance. There are trials to look at whether exercising five times a week on a bike can decrease your risk of breast cancer recurrence. Those are cool trials to get into because mm-hmm. they, they look at the effectiveness of things we, we know about. You might even not have to take a drug, a drug to lower your risk of recurrence. That's amazing. So getting into a trial like that for someone who has low risk, uh, who maybe just had um, a mastectomy for surgery uh, and didn't have kind of metastatic disease. There's also, of course, all these drug trials that test approved products in different combinations. Um, a lot of trials look at late stage cancer, but a lot look at early stage and preventing a recurrence after a surgery mm-hmm. or um, figuring out the, the best way to arrange treatments that takes the least out of a patient through side effects or the least impact on a patient. So they're trying to both improve the outcomes while decreasing the risk of side effects. And so you get a lot of trials that are looking at that. Like, do we have to add radiation to this or can we get away with not doing radiation for patients who probably won't need it? Um, so the, and of course, uh, you know, a, a lot of us know that are part of the cancer community know that especially in cancers like AYA, what you do when you're killing treatment you get can impact your risk of, of a different cancer later on. So trials like that are really important to understand how, you know, what that risk actually is and whether we can lower it. Um, so uh, to get back to kind of the main point, trials are not just for you when you have no other options. Yeah. There is a trial for everyone at every point in their cancer journey. And when you get into it, you know, when you decided and kind of doing that cost benefit analysis of when, you know, I should jump into a trial versus, versus not, that kind of is going to differ for different people and also for where you're treated a lot of times. So are you at a local community hospital or are you at a major cancer center that's actively running 150 trials and the doctors are constantly looking for people to involve in those? Yeah, I actually had heard that there only is the last last option. So Thank you for clarifying that. Any other misconceptions that would keep someone from participating in something that really would help? Yeah, you know, I think uh, another word that I hear is risk and that Hmm. clinical trials are risky because the drug is experimental. And what I really want to point out there is that there's a ton of work done on a drug before it ever gets to a clinical trial to to de-risk the drug. Mm -hmm. And so what does that entail? There, every, every drug has what are called preclinical trials where they're looking at the drug in animal models. They always also do a biochemical testing of the drug to, so even before it ever gets into a patient, it is, they are testing it to make sure it's safe that then, and to predict potential side effects, because, you know, uh, you want to kind of know what you might see with a drug before you go into a a trial. Um, so that's first off it's been de-risked. Then there's phase one, phase two, and phase three of clinical trials. Phase one is all about safety. A lot of times it's about 
test using the, putting the drug into healthy patients to see how they respond. Um, in cancer trials, a lot of times phase one and phase two are combined. So you want to test safety in patients who are actually have the cancer. Right. Um, so it's those trials tend to be small trials. We're talking 10 to, to 20 patients. Really, the goal is to kind of get a sense for how the drug works in the body and the effect of the drug on a small group of patients. So safety, safety trials. Mm -hmm. Phase two trials are a little bit bigger and they're working, they're starting to look at effectiveness. Um, a lot of times, like, like I mentioned, the cancer trials, those two, those two phases are combined because you want to speed the, mm -hmm. the path for a cancer drug to get safely to patients. So whereas, you know, a lot of trials in other areas like heart disease might have phase one, phase two, and then huge phase three trial in 10,000 patients, cancer trials, because they want to decrease that time and get a drug on the market sooner if it helps patients, they usually combine phase one and two, and then they'll have a larger phase three study. That's kind of hmm. the, the study to look at the, the effectiveness in a larger population. And that population can be anywhere from 150 patients for a rare cancer to thousands of patients who have a, a, a more common cancer they can test, again, test patients with metastatic disease or early stage disease. Uh, but um, I think the key thing to come, come back to in this space is that a ton of risk is gone by the time a drug company is going to give you a medication. Are there side effects? Yes, there are side effects of every medication. Right. Um, there are side effects of aspirin. <laughs> aspirin can make you bleed if you cut yourself because of that, you know, so it, you shouldn't get into a clinical trial expecting this is going to be hundred percent safe, but I want to emphasize that nothing is hundred percent safe and that yeah. a clinical trial is only a little bit more risky than, you know, going to your pharmacy and pulling some drugs off the shelf and taking them. Based on what you've said, the pros far outweigh the cons or the potential misconceptions that you've just shown aren't even I like to think uh, they do. Yeah, definitely. So, so given that, and I know we talked about this a little earlier, given that this is a real option that uh, we want to encourage people to at least explore, what's the easiest way for them to do that, to see where they can, if they qualify and all of that? Yeah. So one thing to understand about clinical trials is that all trials have what are called exclusion and inclusion criteria. So as you just mentioned, that word qualify. Mm -hmm. um, so because a trial is testing a specific medication in a specific group and more so in, in more uh, in clinical trials that are coming about now, they're really testing targeted therapy. So they may test drugs against a specific genetic mutation. Clearly, they need people who have the genetic mutation to do that. Right. So that's going to be a, a criteria to get into the trial is do you have this ALK gene mutation? Or do you have this mutation in your estrogen receptor for, for breast cancer? So, you know, it, it's really important that, that the trial incorporates people into it who are in the right group and who might benefit. So that's what those inclusion and exclusion criteria mean. Um, the best way to, to, the initial best way to find a trial, as I mentioned before, is to talk to your doctor, ask, mm -hmm. ask about trial options, make it a, a common part of asking about any next treatment option. Um, it's really hard for people, especially people who are newly diagnosed, you know, to, to ask about it at that point. But as you, as you kind of start to get into treatment, um, as you kind of start to see what, what options there are available, it's never too late to say, 
is a clinical trial potential option? What, what would, do I have to think about for, you know, for getting into a trial? Um, and, you know, that way, you know, that, that information, if you have a recurrence, if kind of, you know, what the next step is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's another thing that kind of gets in the way of clinical trials is that oftentimes in that initial phase, people are confronted with some pretty mind blowing and, and oftentimes really scary information. And it's, they don't have the, the wherewithal right there to ask at that moment, what clinical trial, and then they think it's too late. Right. It's not too late. It's always make sure to ask about it because you may find that there's an option available to you that is better than the standard of care, that is better than what you could receive. Excellent. Excellent. Lauren, I know another part of Grit Health is, or part of the programming that you're involved in is uh, conferences. You want to talk a little bit about the conferences that Grit does? Yeah. So one of the most exciting and the biggest things that Grit Health does is our annual conference. So we started this conference back in 2019, and it is the Global Virtual Cancer Conference. We hold it every fall. And it's really a place where everything Grit Health does comes together. So we have sessions that are informational and educational that lean more on the medical side. We really, you know, have a full hour to break down all this clinical trial stuff. So Dan leads the medical side of that. And, you know, we have different oncologists on, physical therapists, occupational therapists, social workers. And then we have sessions that really focus on finding and using your voice and being an advocate. And advocacy doesn't mean, you know, getting up and writing your legislators and traveling to Capitol Hill. It's really, it can be waking up in the morning, rolling over and telling your partner, I don't feel good today. Hmm. Grit Health is there to help you do those things. And then we also are trying to end isolation in the cancer community. So it's a real, really good space to connect with other people, whether that's in a chat room, posting, you know, your favorite chemo hacks, you know, how to tie your headscarf, how the hell do I put these eyelashes on, you know, different things like that. Who's the expert on colonoscopy prep? You know, we kind of cover it all. And then one of the big pieces we get to do throughout Grit Health, but ultimately at this conference as well is work with our nonprofit partner organizations like Epic Experience. So we really elevate our partners because they're the ones with all these great resources and information. And we kind of see Grit Health as a little hub where we can kind of direct people in the community and guide them in wherever they are. And the thing is, we're not all rainbows and butterflies at Grit Health. Um, Your cancer journey does not have to be a straight, pretty perfect line forward. Uh, if we go backwards, if you go around in circles, we're there with you for that. One of our team members always says, we're here to sit in the mud with you if that's what you want to do. And that's what's different about Grit Health is really just that realness and our authenticity. And our global virtual con- cancer conference, GVCC, is really the biggest time that we get to do that. And then we get to follow it up with programming that occurs every month afterwards. So, and that's in the fall every year. And it's one of my favorite things. And it's our best way to find new community members, let our current community interact with people and really jam pack some awesome information to 
get it out to the cancer community. And so the Global Virtual Cancer Conference happens every fall with Grit Health. And you can always find it on our website at grithealth.com. Perfect. That's what I was just going to ask you. Perfect. Well, the way I want to end today is to ask both of you if there's anything else that I haven't asked you about that you think would be important for someone diagnosed with cancer, searching for clinical trials, um, interested in finding a community, anything really along those lines. Yeah, Gail, you know, you asked the question, but I don't think I answered it well enough. Um, So how do you find a trial? Mm -hmm. Um, I said, you know, start with your doctor. Always, you know, they're a great starting resource to ask. But then it's important to take steps on your own. The place that I would go to start is National Institutes of Health. Mm -hmm. If you go to their clinical trial site, you can do some simple searches and it's a, it's a much clearer uh, version of, of kind of, it's much more patient friendly than some of the other sites. Um, the government operates a site called uh, clinical, uh, clinicaltrials.org, which has every trial that exists, but it's really more for kind of for other physicians to look at, for people who are, are really um, knowledgeable about trials. It's not really very patient friendly to, find, to use. So the NIH site is something I recommend to people. And then I'm going to say it again um, as kind of a, uh, an outside group that I think does a really good job with this as Ancora AI. That's A-N-C-O-R-A dot A-I. And like I said, they're based in Europe, but they're doing this the right way. There are mm-hmm. clinical trial matching sites that are take money from pharma to move certain trials to the top of the list. They don't do that. They're really there to, they're, they're more for hospital systems to use. So because they're trying to match people that way, it's a much more patient friendly, um, you know, they do patient education about finding trials. They're just doing it the right way. So I also recommend them as kind of a third starting point. Um, all those, all those people are trying to help you. There are always people you can call. If you have, if you just type in questions about clinical trials, I'm sure a ton of sites will pop up hoping to, to answer your questions. So, um, you know, you don't have to, you know, sit behind your computer, you can put the phone to your ear and call a person who can help you find them too. Um, Like I said, the NIH runs a hotline, but a lot of advocacy organizations runs run hotlines too. So look for someone from your, with your cancer type and advocacy organization. So, you know, LLS, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, they're great about helping people find trials. They allow you to call in, they have nurse navigators on call to be able to handle those. So the, the, the possibilities are endless and the resources are really there. People just have to know to look for them. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't. And so we're trying to make this, that's what this is here for. Right. And that's exactly. what you guys have experience are trying to make sure people know. So thank you for that. Excellent. Thank you, Lauren, anything else? Yeah. I just wanted to add that, you know, as Dan was saying, ask the questions, whether it's to yourself, to your family, your friends, your healthcare team, and, keep asking until you find answers. And if you need help finding answers and you need support and you need a little more information about your diagnosis, then that's when you can step into the advocacy world. There's tons of organizations that are here to help you. Grit Health is here to help you. And to always just remember you're not alone in this, that your experience might not be the same as somebody else's, but it still matters. Mm-hmm. And that's something to always kind of hold on to and that it is your body and these are your choices that you have to make that are the best for you. 
And there's always information out there. There are people out there ready and willing to help you. And to just remember, you know, you're not alone, really. As lonely as cancer can be, that that's not the case. And that's something Grit Health, we, like I said at the beginning, we welcome anyone and everyone. We talk about anything and everything. Um, All the things you don't hear people talk about out loud. I promise you, I will bring it up. I will talk to you about it. And that's what we're really all about because if no one's talking about it, it's not going to make it better. So thank you again for having us on. Thank you both so much. This has been very instructive to me and I'm sure to many people out there. And I'm hoping that people will listen and go find a clinical trial that can help them. So thank you, Dan. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Father time.